And I'm going to teach on water baptism tonight. So I haven't got off track with teaching on purposes of the church. This is, in a sense, part of it. The title of the message would be Baptism Through the Waters of Judgment. So the reason I'm doing that is we own, our church does, a new baptistry, which is next door. The steel boys finished it off, and I'm sure it looks really nice. So we're going to be able to do baptisms here. It'll be on wheels, moving around. The reason I bought that is for several reasons. And the first one is, that way, no matter what the weather is, we can have a baptism. So if somebody gets saved in the dead of December, we're not going to have to chop through the ice like they used to in the old days and everybody stand out there watching. We can just do it here. So that's one reason. And then, two, we won't have to have long periods of time when somebody gets saved and then they get baptized. So you're not saved by baptism. We know that. But... You find in the New Testament when people become saved, they generally get baptized either the same day or shortly thereafter. There's not like a year, two years gap in between those. So we'd be able to do it a whole lot quicker that way. The other reason is that way the whole church can be present when people are being baptized. And we'll talk about that more later. But I believe baptism is meant to be a public event. So when John the Baptist was baptizing, it says this, it said, then said he to the multitudes when he's down by the river Jordan. So he's saying this to the multitudes that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So there's a lot of people there watching what's going on. And Peter in Acts 2, when he preached after receiving the Holy Spirit and the people said, you know, what is it we're supposed to do? His answer was repent and be baptized every one of you to be baptized. Well, how many was that? You know, was it a public event? Because it goes on to say, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So all I would say is they didn't baptize 3,000 people in a corner. It would have been a public event done then. So the big thing is by having baptisms done here and done publicly in front of the church, the church knows who is being added unto us because that's what it says there in Acts 2. Those were added unto the church, about 3,000 souls. So they would have known who those 3,000 were. They wouldn't have had to wonder because they were getting baptized right there in public. So I'm not saying that baptisms can only take place here in the future or else they're illegitimate. So, I mean, we could have a baptism like we did. I thought it was great before Brother Hamilton passed away out at Jay's house at a picnic like that. And we had most of the church there. So present to witnesses, which I thought was good. And let me hasten to add this, lest I be misunderstood or hurt somebody's feelings, because that's not the intention here. I don't have a problem if somebody got baptized in their bathtub and no one was there but them and their wife did it. I mean, okay, so I've got no problem. You know, it had never been taught about before. So, I mean, I got baptized myself. I'd never heard any teaching. I got baptized in a pool. There was three people there, four. So I'm, I'm saying I, I don't feel like I have to get re-baptized, and I'm not suggesting someone does because they got baptized sort of in a private event. But I'm just trying to suggest According to the Bible, I see it as being a public event. And I think the more I talk about things tonight, it will become evident why it should be a public event. But what I want to do first is I just want to deal with what I'm calling some introductory questions. So for a people that have been in this church for a long time or have studied a lot, it's not going to be anything new. But we have a lot of kids getting baptized, younger people. People that have grown up in church maybe have never really studied or whatever. It's just what you do when you get saved. You get water baptized. 
So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I would like to just deal with some basic things about baptism, some basic questions. And the first one is, I don't have to spend much time on this, is why should we be baptized? Why do you think we should be baptized? Anyone want to offer a suggestion? It's pretty simple. Go ahead. Obedience. Yeah. That's really it. The very simple answer. The Lord commanded it. Matthew 28, 19. We all know it. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. And Jesus, it's a command, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So if he hadn't commanded it, guess what? It might be optional then if he didn't command it, right? Even if we saw they did it in the book of Acts. But he did command it. The reason I'm bringing that up is there are some groups. So we talked about what constitutes a church, and one of them is they observe ordinances. Because there are a group, and I'm not saying this in a critical way, but the Salvation Army, well, they'll preach and teach the gospel, but they don't baptize anyone in that group for whatever their reason is. So some groups do that, but we see that command is carried out in the early church in the book of Acts. And in essence, every Christian church practices baptism as a means of membership. Is an initiatory right, if you want to put it that way. So that's the first thing. And I think we'll also see more why God has ordained baptism. Is, like I said, as we talk, that'll become a little clearer too, I think. The next question I'd like to deal is, what is the mode? And by mode, it means how should baptism be done? And I think there's two things I want to talk about with that. So the first is, I think baptism should be immersion and not sprinkling. Now, there's a lot of groups that sprinkle when they baptize, but the Greek word for baptism is baptizo, and it means to plunge, to dip, and to immerse. And so in Greek literature, that same word baptizo was used for a shipwreck, where a ship is at the bottom of the sea. It's been baptized. It's resting on the bottom, totally submerged. And it was also used to talk about a person that had been drowned, totally submerged in the water. There is a very good Greek word, if sprinkling was the way the Lord wanted it done, then there's a very good Greek word that means sprinkling that's used like three times in the book of Hebrews. So that word could have been used, but the word is baptized, immersion. And we see that too, John 3.23, it says John the Baptist baptized, immersed people at the River Jordan. And why did he do it there? Because it says there was much water there. So if sprinkling is the acceptable way of doing it, how much water does it take to sprinkle? But it takes a lot of water to get people under the water. And that's why he's at the river. In Mark 1, 9, it says Jesus was baptized. It's saying he was immersed in the Jordan River. And then in Mark 1, 10, it says, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open. So he was all the way down and came back up, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he was baptized by John. In Acts 8, Philip and the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, now they're out in the desert. That's had to be God set that up. They're right there. Here's water because they were getting ready to head into a territory where there was very little water. And if sprinkling would have been the case, believe me, that eunuch would have had a lot of water with him. They could have just done a little flipping of the water out of his water bottles. It wouldn't have been a problem. But it said, it says they both went down into the water and it says both came up out of the water. That's Acts chapter 8, 38 and 39. So without getting into all the, many more than that, I think immersion is the proper way. That's how we've always baptized in this church, and I think for good reason. So all the way down and all the way back up. So most churches 
Most groups baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that baptism should be done in the name of Jesus, or the Lord Jesus, or the Lord Jesus Christ, but not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I quoted the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, that's not a mistranslation there. That's not like that verse is questionable, whether it should be in there. It should be in there, Matthew 28. And Jesus said to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what he commanded the apostles in Matthew 28. So here I just want us to do a quick exercise and see how then did they carry that out. So if you would start in Acts 2, we're just going to go through the book of Acts. So the command was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we see in Acts 2.38, what do we read there? They ask men and brethren, what should we do? The end of verse 37, and Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you. How? In the name of what? Who? In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, next turn to Acts chapter 8. This is the Samaritan believers. Acts chapter 8, and here we have Philip preaches to him. And we look in verse 16, he talks to him about the Holy Ghost, and he says, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized. How? It says it again, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, two chapters after that, in Acts chapter 10, we read... Acts chapter 10, it was the opposite of Samaria. Samaria, they were baptized, then received the Holy Spirit. Here with Cornelius, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then they said this, verse 47, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as, as we? And Peter says, And he commanded them to be baptized, how? In the name of the Lord, meaning the Lord Jesus. And then prayed they them to tarry certain days. The last place I'd like us to look in the book of Acts, so this is four places. Acts 19, if you would please. In verse 4, then Paul said, these are these Ephesian believers. He runs across John, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that is... The only times I'm seeing baptisms taking place in the book of Acts. And they were baptized once again in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I would just say, did they not understand the command right? What, what was the problem there that they didn't do what he said? Because I think they did do what he said. And you don't have to turn to these places, but verses in the epistles. So it says in Colossians 3, Paul write this. He said, whatsoever, now that's comprehensive, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Galatians 3.27, Paul wrote, For all of you who were baptized in Christ, or it could be said into Christ. Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him, Jesus, in baptism. And if you would turn to this one, please turn to Romans chapter 6. And I think there's a reason why the baptisms all took place in the name of Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3, look what Paul writes there. He says, don't you know, know you not, that so many of us as were baptized, how? Into Jesus Christ. Were baptized into his death. 
Here's the reason why I think they're baptized in the name of Jesus, because the Father didn't die for us. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, He didn't die for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that died for us. And the Bible repeatedly talks about us being in Him, meaning in union with Him. And that is what baptism depicts, is our union with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. So the question will be then, why do we have what we have in Matthew 28, 19 to 20? Well, for one thing, the name, the titles, the names, whatever, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are not names. They are titles. Jesus is the Son, but his name is Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, when it says baptize in the name of the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit, the name is singular. It's not names. It's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name is Jesus. But the reason I believe you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit said there by our Lord, all three of them are involved in our salvation. That's why I believe that's there. I heard a man teach a Baptist pastor and minister at my seminary. They were asking him, well, what about people that are baptized in, in the name of Jesus? Do you consider those baptisms legitimate? And he said, if they understand or they believe in the Trinity. So one reason that Baptists shy away from baptizing in Jesus' name, one reason I'm saying, or accepting a baptism done in Jesus' name is because, and listen to what I'm saying, not all Pentecostal groups, oneness Pentecostal groups baptize in Jesus' name, Jesus-only groups, but they do not believe in the Trinity. So if a oneness Pentecostal, say, came to a Baptist church, if the pastor is on the ball, he's going to say, I, you're going to have to be baptized again. Or that would happen here, as far as I'm concerned, because they have a misunderstanding of salvation. Because Jesus is God. The whole, it's, we believe in the Trinity here. Amen? We do. So I'd like to move on from that. So, so our church has practiced, and I've baptized people at prison. Talk about that in a minute. I've always baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's how we've had baptisms take place here. Now, Brother Hamilton, just let me throw this in. The last time I remember him teaching on baptism, I, he might have done it another time, but we were at the other building, and he did bring up at that time that, okay, so what about somebody that's baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And I kind of agree with him. I mean, I went to a seminary filled with Baptists that they're all, and been to churches, they're all baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is it a heaven and hell issue? If they have that conviction, I'm saying they have a verse for it. I'm saying, but me personally and our church, I believe there's a biblical case for being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not falling out over the fact, though, or saying, well, you're not saved because you got baptized in the name of the Father. It's not a salvation issue. Baptism is not what saves you. We'll talk about that too. Okay? Amen. So the next question, the last question that I want to deal with is who is a candidate for baptism? Because you have the Catholics are probably the biggest group of Christians you have, and they baptize babies. I was one of them at one time, right? And I believe that it should be believers. It doesn't necessarily have to be adults. But I believe it has to be somebody that is able to repent, to understand what sin is, to turn from their sins, and exercise faith, conscious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A baby can't do that. So Jesus said, to give verses for the reasons I'm saying that, Matthew 28, 19, he said, he told the, his disciples, his apostles, first he says, you go make disciples and then baptize them. You teach them. But you can't teach a baby anything. 
first of all. And then in Acts 2.38, which we read, when Peter told them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, it goes on to say in verse 41, then they that gladly had received his word were baptized. And a baby, they might smile, but it wouldn't be because they were receiving the word. <laughs> maybe they would. Maybe it's a John the Baptist situation. I don't know. He's leaping in the womb. But generally, you've got to be a certain age to understand and receive the word. Acts 8.12 says this, but when they believed Philip preaching the good news in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So it says first that they believed Philip preaching the good news. And the last verse I'll give for that is in Acts 10. Once again, it's people that can hear and understand the word. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those that heard the word. And then he said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? So he's not baptizing babies there, I don't believe. I believe he's baptizing the ones that were old enough to hear the word. And when they did, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them. They got baptized. And guess what else they did? They spoke in tongues. Amen. That's what they did. So like I said, as a, you know, my own testimony, I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic Church in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And believe me, I don't remember any of it. Believe me about that. I didn't take a video or anything. And when I finally became a Christian at 21 years of age and I heard teaching on the meaning of baptism, I realized, man, that infant baptism I had was basically worthless. I mean, I always liked to tease them at prison. I said, that was just a bad bath I got back then because they didn't even use soap. That's all it was. it was. There was nothing to it. It wasn't part of my salvation experience. had nothing to do with it. It meant nothing. And I mean, man, I was not the least bit saved from that time I had, that happened to me as a baby growing on up. And they believe, the Catholics believe in what's called baptismal regeneration. They believe there's actual power confirmed through the act of doing that baptism. That's heresy. That doesn't happen. Believe me, it doesn't happen. But I was also baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because I was blessed that when I got saved and I was able to hear teaching from a church like ours that says, hey, this is the way you get baptized. So I know different people have been rebaptized. So, you know, that's a personal thing. Somebody has to decide then. I think a lot of times our church, because I've been here for 30-some years, we kind of tend to downplay baptism. And I think it's really a lot more important. And as talk, I think, once again, I think it'll be evident. It just hasn't been given its proper respect. But in saying that, it is not the ground or the cause of anyone's salvation. Baptism isn't. So... Like I said, I may not agree with somebody being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's not a matter of, like I said, all the Baptists, a lot of these Baptist people that I was around in seminary, I'm fully planning on seeing them at heaven, and I don't think any of them are going to get rebaptized. They're pretty well settled on the way they're going to do it, right? And like I said, I baptized several men at prison, and my thing is, this is my conviction. I've only had one person, I baptized several there, and generally, I'll say, okay, I'd be glad to baptize you, but if you're going to have me baptize you, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I've gone through like what I did tonight. I went through the scriptures. I didn't have anybody say, oh, no. And some of them were even Baptists. They're like, that's fine. And that's the way we did things. I had one guy that wanted me to baptize in some crazy name. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't. He's like, you're telling me you're not going to baptize me? I said, I'm telling you. And I said, and here's the reason. I said, you've got a conviction about what you're saying. I said, I'm, that's fine. I said, you find somebody that doesn't mind, and they'll do it for you, and that's good. I said, but I'm not going to do that for you, because I have a different conviction, and I'd be dishonest. 
So you got to respect me for my conviction or whatever. And he wasn't good with it because I got a lot of rumors spread. But anyways, uh, I didn't talk mean to him at all. It was very nice to him. So anyways, I do believe that it should be done. This church, I believe biblically, we believe it should be a believer, someone that's old enough to believe, not an infant. And it should be done immersion, and it should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what I find in the book of Acts. All right? And what I really want to talk about tonight is the meaning of baptism. I want to spend the bulk of the time talking about that. And to do that, I want to look at two places. First Peter 3, First Peter chapter 3, and then we're going to look at Matthew 3, beginning in verse 18. 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water or through the water. Now look what he says in verse 21, depending on your translation. King James, that I'm reading, says, the like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. So in other words, he's making a correlation there between what happened with Noah and what happens in baptism. We'll talk about that. He says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. That's not what saves you. Getting down in that water has no special effect. It says, but it's the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and who's on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So remember that there, what we just read. We're going to come back to it. Now, if you would then go to Matthew chapter 3. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. 17 verses. We read in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, And in those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And that same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat, his food, was bugs locust and wild honey and then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and they were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism he said unto them O generation of vipers who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come bring forth therefore fruits suitable for repentance and think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose hand is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire and then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him but John forbade him saying I have need to be baptized of thee and you come to me and Jesus answering said unto him allow it to be so now for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness and then he allowed him 
And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So listen, when we read this account that we just read in Matthew chapter 3, there are two voices that stand out in this account. One is at the beginning of the account, and one is at the very end of the account. And the voice speaking at the beginning is the voice of who? It's the voice of John the Baptist. And Isaiah is quoted as saying he is the voice of one crying. He's crying out in the wilderness. And what is it that he's crying? What is this voice saying? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what we have at the beginning. And the voice at the end, another voice, is whose voice? It's the Father in heaven. And what does his voice say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I want to say these two voices frame this chapter on baptism. They describe the meaning of baptism. And the meaning is this. It's repentance and new life in Christ. That's what baptism depicts. Because, listen, water baptism is a message. It has a voice that speaks, is what I'm saying. And the first message that baptism speaks is of one of condemnation. You're like, ah, oh, there you go again. No, it's not that bad, believe me. But that is what it's saying. Because, listen, what is John the Baptist doing to all of these people that are coming out to him? What's he doing to them? He's taking every one of them and plunging them underwater, isn't he? Every one of them's going underwater. And listen, that is not without meaning or significance. There's a definite meaning to that. He's calling people that come there. He is calling them and saying, you need to repent. You need to completely turn from your sinful life. And what is their response? Look back here in chapter 3. Look in verse 6. And they were baptized in the Jordan. And what were they doing? Confessing their sins. And so you got to get this picture here are people, as they're confessing their sins, they are being drowned in water. That's what's happening to them. They're being drowned. That's what the word baptized means. What is that telling us there? Those waters, when he's putting them under the water, that represents the waters of judgment. So it's been said that baptism represents a grave. It's more than a grave. It's more than just we're putting them down in a watery grave. No, it's putting them down in the waters of judgment. That is what's happening. And that's why I had us read that passage in 1 Peter 3. So if you remember, it says there that God patiently waited in the days of Noah while Noah prepared the ark. What's he waiting for? What's God waiting for for 120 years? They estimate there was over 3 billion people on this earth. What's he waiting for? He's waiting for them to repent, for those people to repent. And guess what happened when they didn't? His patience ran out. After 120 years, the flood came, didn't it? And destroyed everything on earth. And that right there, it says it back in Genesis 6, I believe it is, and also there in 1 Peter 3. Everyone perished but Noah and seven other people out of three billion people on this earth. And do we wonder if it's just going to be a few that make it in the end? But here, here's what Peter says about those eight souls. They were brought safely through the water. 
And Peter says our baptism corresponds to that, to what happened with Noah. And I'm saying, what do those waters that Noah came through, what do they symbolize? What's taken place back there in Genesis? Terrible. It's a terrible thing. But it represents God's wrath and judgment, doesn't it? Because what did God do? You think about it. He baptized the earth in water. Every single person except for those that got in that ark that Noah prepared. They're the only ones that made it. He baptized the entire earth. And those waters represent judgment. Only eight safely came through is what I'm saying. That's quite the picture there. But he's saying, hey, that ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ. They came through the waters that destroyed everyone else. And the ark represents Jesus. That's how they got through. And Paul paints the same picture when he talks about the Israelites coming to the Red Sea in 1 Corinthians 10. What does he say there? He says they were all baptized, it says, in the Moses at the Red Sea. They were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. So what were those waters of the Red Sea? What were they for Pharaoh and his army? Waters of judgment. They were. That wasn't a blessing for them. They were dead. They found them laying on the seashore the next day. But what does it say for God's people? God, through Moses, he baptized them. They went through those waters. That's what happens. But those waters there, they represent judgment. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's what baptism's depicting. That's the meaning of it. So listen, when those people came to John confessing their sins and submitting to being put completely underwater, what are they doing? What are they doing when they're doing that? They're saying, they're confessing, we deserve death. We deserve God's wrath. Because John, what did he ask those Pharisees? He says to them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Isn't that what he said to them? To the Pharisees, who warned you to flee from this wrath? And you know what's significant? The Pharisees refused to be baptized by John. We don't need that. No, we're circumcised. We're Abraham's seed. We're all right. Ah, oh, they missed it. Refused to be baptized. They didn't see themselves as wicked sinners. Didn't see them like everybody else that deserves God's judgment. But you know who didn't see themselves that way and came out there and were dunked in those waters of judgment? The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the common man. You got two coats. What should I do? The common man says, well, you got two coats. Make sure you share with somebody that doesn't have. Don't be selfish. That's what repentance will do. You'll be sharing with other people. What about the soldiers? They weren't justifying themselves. He says, listen, they've been abusing people. He says, do violence to no man. That'll show you've repented, John told him. But those guys weren't justifying themselves, those rugged soldiers. They knew. They admitted all these people. They weren't right with God. We admit we deserve judgment. We deserve to be put down in those waters of judgment. That's what they're doing when they confess their sins there. So people being baptized, what's happening when you do that? You're admitting that you need the mercy of God, aren't you? Aren't all of us? We're helpless sinners. And that is what baptism displays. Because think about it. Think about this. It takes no effort for the person being baptized to drown in the waters of baptism. Because what do you do? You'll see when it happens here. Somebody will be sitting in there and they just fall back. They don't have to do anything. Fall back into those waters. Right? Don't have to do a thing. And if someone isn't there to help you back up, you might not come back up. I'll tell you, let me tell you, this happened to me, I took this pastoral class. So the teacher's like, listen, we're going to teach you guys, you're all going to have to baptize somebody. I never had up to that point. 
not one person. You're going to have to baptize people, so we want to get you some practice. So you find a buddy, and you team up with them, and we'll take you down. We went to one of the Baptist churches there. It had this big baptistry. And so they gave us some instruction. Well, my buddy, me and him were friends. I liked him. You think I'm big? He's three times bigger than me, this guy. So we get down there. Well, they had given us instructions on what you do to baptize a big person. They're like, you better get your fulcrum right. You better be ready and all that other, okay? So, uh, you know, my buddy gets down. He's a big man, real big man. And all the excitement, I forgot the instructions. And he's down in that water, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I looked at him, and I thought, I don't think I can get you up out of here. <laughs> I'm saying you're helpless, and I'm looking at him underneath that water. I said a quick prayer, God, please give me the strength to get him up. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. I can't get this guy up out of his water. He's laying down there and turning blue, you know. It took all I had, literally, the grace of God and all I had. I got him up out of that water or he'd probably still be lying there. So, listen, but what I'm saying, doesn't that paint the picture of what happens to us as sinners? That's what baptism is supposed to show. We naturally fall into sin. We're all born that way. When nobody has to help us, and we're laying there in our sin under God's judgment, right? Took no effort on our parts. Born with wicked hearts, no exceptions in this room. And guess what had to happen to us? God in His grace and His mercy. And it took me power to lift that up. God in His power lifts us up out of our sins. And that's what baptism is showing. We're helpless. God had to help us out of that miry clay. We sing that song, don't we? Pick me up out of the miry clay or we would drown in his wrath. And it's only by his help that we're saved. And baptism's displaying that in a graphic way. So praise God for the cross. Amen. <laughs> we have a way. And the last picture the Bible paints, think about Jonah. So most people, when you think of Jonah, what do you think of when Jesus said, is the Son of Man was three days and three nights. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of that whale. That's what you think. But you know what we forget about? Jonah was thrown in the sea. For what? For his obedience? No. He was thrown in the sea for his disobedience. And what was he getting by that? He was getting the judgment that he deserved. He was thrown into the waters of death. And so... You know, Jonah himself confessed, I am in the belly of hell. And God sent that fish. But listen, he is helpless, isn't he, in that water, sinking down. And God, in his grace, sent that fish to swallow him up and kept him down there. Right? And Jonah couldn't save himself because you read, you go back and read at the end of Jonah chapter 2, when he finally prays to God and repents, he says something that is so significant we need to remember when we're witnessing to anybody. It's not our how smart we are. It's not we're going to push our personality on them and cause them to see the light. It isn't going to happen that way. Because Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. Helpless we are. That's what baptism shows. When it says he said that, guess what the next thing you read is? And the fish vomited him, is the word, vomited him out of his mouth. And Jonah came on dry land. And that's what salvation showing us, that, that salvation is of the Lord. He's got to be the one to deliver us from those waters of judgment. So like I said, a person being baptized is saying, I deserve death. I deserve judgment. And when it happens up here and a person's saying that, and that's what they're saying by what they're doing, guess what we're all doing out there? The person's like, I'm being baptized. I deserve death. And we're saying, we agree. You're a sinner. We're agreeing with them. 
<laughs> That's what's happening. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you about that. All of us needed that. And you know what? It's a public humiliation, isn't it? I haven't seen anybody that comes out of a baptistry that looks good. Everybody, I don't care who you are, looks like a drowned rat, right? They do. And listen, it should be that way. Because listen, the Lord Jesus Christ, it depicts our death burial with him, right? He didn't look too good on the cross. Publicly humiliated, didn't look good at all. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, his visage, meaning his appearance, was marred more than any man. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. And so baptism is a picture of the believer being crucified with Christ, joined with him in death. We're buried with him in baptism. And so what else are we doing? We are publicly making a confession that our old life, we're done with it. That life of living to please ourselves and to do what we want to do without regard for God and his ways, we're done with that. We're making an open public confession that we are through with our old sinful life. That's why another reason I'm saying it should be done publicly. 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That was us. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them and rose again. And that's what we're saying when we're baptized. We're making a pledge to God that we're through living for ourselves. We were dead. He took our death. So from here on out, we're obligated not to live unto ourselves anymore. We did that. That's what Peter says. We had all that time back in the days when we partied and lived for ourselves. He says those days are done. We need to take and make the most of what we have left and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying there in 2 Corinthians 5. But listen, I said there's two voices speaking. And there's a second voice that we have in Matthew chapter 3. And that is, there's a voice of resurrection, a voice of acceptance that comes. So look back in Matthew 3, in verses 13 and 14. We had something interesting here. It says, Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me? So, you know, what do we have? We've got Jesus is coming to one of John's baptismal services, and he says, I, I want you to baptize me. And it's confusing. Why is that confusing? Because Jesus never sinned. Why does he need baptism? You know, that'd be like somebody coming up to me and saying, we're starting a Weight Watchers club here, Weight Watchers group at church, and we want your daughter Jennifer to join. I'd be like, are you serious? I think you got the two of us confused. You know, you got her mixed up with me. I can't get her to eat as it is. And you want her to join your Weight Watchers club? That just doesn't make sense. You know, and I, I guess Thomas is the chairman, you know, the two skinniest people in my family. And that's kind of what's happening here. John's confused. He's like, man, I've been calling snakes and vipers and sinners and prostitutes to repent. And he's like, you're not one of them. You don't fit this crowd. What are you doing here? That's what he's saying. You're not one of us. He's saying, I'm part of that group. I need to be baptized by you. What are you doing here asking me to be baptized? You don't belong here. And Jesus has to tell him, look, John, it's all right. Go ahead and baptize me. He says, this has to happen to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Has to happen to fulfill all righteousness. Because what Jesus is doing there, he is fully identifying with us. 
with you, fully identifying with you. And that happened when he took on humanity. When he became a man, he took on a responsibility to do whatever he could to bail man out of his predicament. Fully identifying with us. And so what's happening in his baptism right here, it's a depiction, a picture of what is going to happen at the cross. Because he's going to take our baptism of judgment. That's what's being displayed here. And that's why Jesus said this has to happen here right now. It's pointing to the future. And he said in Luke 12, 50, he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how I am straightened until it be accomplished. Because what is Jesus? He's the second Adam. He's our representative. And the first Adam left us hanging, if you want to put it that way, right? He left us in the waters of judgment. And he's representing all of his people here. And so what do we have? It goes on in verses 16 and 17. It says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. A voice spoke. That second voice spoke. And what was it saying? It's a voice of acceptance. And so we're saying all of this is pointing ahead to the cross. Do you know that's what happened when Jesus was raised from the dead? A declaration was made. Another declaration about him being the beloved Son. Romans 1, 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. That's the Father once again saying, this is my beloved Son when he was raised from the dead. Declared that publicly with whom I am well pleased. We're not left down in those waters of judgment, are we? So when we're baptized, we're not just found in his death and burial. We're also partakers of what? His newness of life, his resurrection power. And also, we receive the Holy Spirit. When he came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And that's what happened to believers. They didn't get the Holy Spirit 20 years later, like a lot of people do now, because of how mixed up Christianity is. It was all one event. And so there's confusion created sometimes when they'll talk about baptism, washing away sins and all. The reason is, is it's one event happening there. You know, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, being water baptized, receiving the Holy Spirit. Go back and read all those passages. It all happened in the same period of time. You don't have these great gaps that we see a lot of times. So it's one event. What does God say about us now? He said, this is my beloved son. Well, what does he say about us? We're in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, he says, you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry the same thing Jesus did, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Coming up out of that water, this is my beloved son. Coming up out of the waters of baptism, this is my beloved son or daughter. Not in and of ourselves, but because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about right there, in whom I am well pleased. So it's making a public announcement, our baptism is. There's a loud voice there making an announcement to ourselves, to the church, to the world, and I'll tell you who else, to all the demons and spiritual forces that are against us is what's happening there. And God is saying, this person here coming out of that water, 
Now, if you're not saved, then Simon the magician got baptized, but he had never had anything take place. So this doesn't do anything in that sense. But it symbolizes that God is saying, this person here is my beloved son. All of you hear that publicly. I'm declaring that through this baptism that's taken place. They're mine in union with Christ. So we make a pledge to God to turn from our sin and live for him alone. And he makes a pledge to be our God and father and to give us everything we need, just like a good husband would do for his wife. That's what happens. It's a public ceremony that depicts what's already happened. It displays what already happened to us. It's an outward, tangible event that represents the salvation that has already taken place. Like I said, it doesn't save anybody, but you hear the expression, it's a mere symbol. It's a lot more than just a mere symbol. That's what I'm saying. I think a lot of times we take the baptism here as something like no big deal. And it ought to become clear it's more than that. Because what is that baptism? It's a tangible event that you can hang your hat on that happened. It's symbolic of a real transaction that took place by faith. So listen, a couple, a married couple, they go through that wedding ceremony. They've already committed their lives to each other. That doesn't make that happen, does it? But the ceremony does what? It gives people an opportunity to publicly declare their intentions to each other, and they seal it with a ring. And what else does it do? It gives them a day to remember, doesn't it? It does. Anniversaries are celebrated every year on the day you got married, right? The day you were married, we made our intentions public, and we've lived it out from that day on. And that's what baptism should be all about. And I think wedding ceremonies, they're public for a reason traditionally, and it's the same with baptisms. That's why they should be public. And it gives you and others that are watching that something to say, hey, I saw when they made that commitment. I saw them baptized on that day. And it also kind of gives you a right to hold somebody responsible for what they said, depending on how they live. The other thing that I think, and I've seen this at prison, I have those guys there, I'll ask them, and only, I've only had one person not do it, I say, do you mind just sharing a little bit of your testimony? It doesn't have to be long, and most of them, they've kept it relatively short. And they do that, and I'm telling you, those guys out there, it's like God's there when that happens. And it brings them back to when they made that commitment. And when I see somebody getting baptized and, it's, and all that, I mean, it brings me back to my baptism. Doesn't it do that for you? Reminds you of that commitment. It just encourages you to keep on with your commitment. Maybe you need to get back to where you had committed yourself or whatever. But it's a sign in the church to everybody in the church and out of it. And I'll tell you, in Muslim countries, it means a whole lot more in their culture than it does here because when you get baptized there in those countries or if you're a Jew and you get baptized that's no small thing because that means you've left Islam you've left the community and you've entered a new cult <laughs> you talk about having a truly new life you got a new life because your best friend your uncle your dad your whole family's trying to slit your throat over this baptism that you did in a public way I think that means something to them then. And they would not lightly do a baptism over there like we would tend to here. Because they got a lot more at stake. So shouldn't that be what re baptism represents to us? We've got a new life, a new family, a new kingdom that we live in. We're adopted into a new family. We're a new people. And so when we do that, we're confessing, I'm a new person. A new commitment. I am pledged to follow the Lord Jesus Christ from here on out. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not doing this in a corner. I'm doing it in a public place. 
Hold you responsible when you do that. And that's why we read that verse in 1 Peter 3. You don't have to turn back there, but it says this. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we make a pledge to him, a pledge of a good conscience, right? And he makes a pledge to us. This is my beloved son. We see that here, what we've looked at in Matthew 3. What does baptism mean to us with what we've looked at? So we're agreeing with God that our past deserves judgment. We deserve to drown in those waters of judgment. Just like in Noah's day, just like the Egyptian army, just like Jonah. We deserve the wrath to come, but through the grace of God, we're helplessly laying there. Through the grace of God and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been brought through those waters of condemnation. Been brought through them, able to live in newness of life. They didn't overwhelm us. We weren't left down there like the Pharaoh's army was, right? He's lifted us up and given us new life. Through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been raised to walk in newness of life. That's Romans chapter 6. And it also means this. The third thing it means is we have, I just said it, we have pledged our lives to live for God and Him alone because of what He's done. And He's pledged Himself to us. That's what's happened. So I would say, have you heard the voices of Matthew 3? Have you heard that voice that calls you to repent? Because the kingdom of God is at hand, and it is. And that second voice that will tell you that all is well. Voice of the resurrection. Now you're my child, and you don't have to fear those waters of condemnation anymore. You've passed through them. And you can look at a baptism and think about your own baptism and say, it's happened to me. It'll help you. It'll help your faith in that way. That's why it's instituted in an ordinance of the church. And that's why I think it's important. And that's why I think all the things we talked about, the immersion into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it's a believing person that's repented, that's why all of that's important. Because that's part of the meaning of water baptism. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word and what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross, that, that our old man was crucified with him, that we've been taken through those waters of judgment, and that through him, through our union with him, we've been raised up and taken through those waters of judgment and raised to have newness of life. And we're so thankful for what you've done on the cross and for sending your son, and we just thank you for that, Father, and we just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.